Hey Rockheads, this is Carl with an update on Music to Code By. On January 4th, 2016, I released the 11th Music to Code By track, Gold. That's right, there are now 11 25-minute tracks, including the original three. And you can download them all in one big zip file for less than 50 bucks at mtcb.pwop.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1275, with guest Rob Schieffer. Recorded Friday, March 18th, 2016. Yeah, welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Here we are again. We do this three times a week now. Yeah. And it's fun. It is fun. It's fun for me. <laughs> we get to talk to great guys like Rob Schieffer, who's coming up here. We'll be talking about uh, MS Deploy. And uh, first, we have a couple of things to get through, don't we? So let's roll the music for Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, man. Tell me a well, story. Uh, I believe it was Steve Strong who pointed this out to me. Uh, go to 1275.pwop.me. That's our naming scheme because this is show 1275. Mm-hmm. And you will see Code Deck. It's a standard playing card deck sporting a stylish modern design where each individual card features a code snippet describing it in a different programming language. Oh, I <laughs> love it. That's so cool. Ten bucks. Nice. That a great <laughs> gift. Isn't that cool? Geeky, geeky gift. Yep. Geeky gift. I love it. Yeah. So, you know, and it, this is a typical problem for geeks that we're hard to buy presents for. Yep. It's so true. This is a good thing to just sort of, I don't know, spam your friends with so that they don't think it came from you, but now they have an idea of what to get you for your birthday. So that's it. Code deck. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1267, the one we did with Jeff Palermo. We were talking about continuous delivery using Azure. Yes. And Dick Beveridge, uh had this comment. He said, hey, this is a great show on real-world continuous delivery in a .NET context for a change. Mm. The point was made that IT has to be capable of keeping up with the pace of business, but that most likely doesn't mean X deploys a day. While that is certainly true, the bigger point is X deploys a day is not the ultimate goal of continuous delivery. Rather, the number of deploys a day is an indicator of the functionality of the process. This notion of speed is an important one. It's pointed out by Jez Humble when he mentions the HP LaserJet firmware case where the introduction of continuous delivery practices resulted in an eight times productivity increase. Mm. And Mary Puppendike, who we've met before, uh, stresses the fact that speed and high quality go together, something that is evident in lean manufacturing, but is a much harder sell in software development. There is empirical evidence, however, that the state of DevOps report in 2015 seems to acknowledge this. On page four, it says lean management and continuous delivery practices contribute to throughput and stability. Going faster makes you more stable. I love that whole concept. Mm-hmm. So throughput and stability should be selling arguments for continuous delivery rather than the X deploys per day. I'm sure that was in line with your guest's thoughts. Thanks again for the great show. Keep them coming. And by the way, Carl mentioned on occasion Mr. Rube Goldberg. And I'm ah. afraid that that reference may be wasted on us as ignorant Europeans. Would you mind elaborating a little bit? So, yeah, Rube, Rube Goldberg was a cartoonist and uh, an inventor. And, you know, his style or invention sort of is encapsulated in the game Mousetrap. Right. You know, the game, which I think is also very much a, um, a North American thing. Yeah. But basically it's, you know, the, you crank the, the crank, which brings a, a bucket, fills a bucket of water, which lifts a pulley, which hits a switch, which sets a ball rolling down a track, which hits a button, which springs a guy off of a board into a puck, into a, uh, a, a, 
you know, a bucket or something like that. And the weight of that makes the net come down on the mouse, that kind of stuff. So right. com- convoluted. Comically complex machines. Comically complex, indirect, and convoluted. Yeah. So he he's best uh, known for these cartoons depicting the complicated gadgets. So uh, so any anytime somebody uh, invokes the name Rube Goldberg, it, it just means uh, exactly that. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So, Dick, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of the social media. We publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And please follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. And definitely send us tweets because we play Mousetrap with them. Nice. Yeah. And now let me introduce Rob Schieffer. He is a solution architect for EBSCO Industries, a global company with businesses in a range of industries, including information services, publishing and digital media, outdoor products, real estate, manufacturing and distribution, and business services, headquartered in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, Now that EBSCO has embraced lean and continuous delivery, he has focused most recently on improving speed of value delivery for his division and working to standardize practices across the enterprise where practical. Welcome, Rob. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Yeah, EBSCO is one of those companies that just keeps growing and growing and buying more companies and getting into more businesses. It's, It's a huge, huge company, huh? Yeah, yeah, we're just all over the place trying to diversify and and be relevant as a as a corporation in uh, not just the U.S. but really the world. We're all over now. Yeah. So we're you're here to talk about MS Deploy, and uh, I like the title "Making MS Deploy Work," which implies that it doesn't work for most people. Is that really what we're talking about here? Well, I, I think that's definitely the stigma kind of that it has in, in the .NET community. And, and we've, we've had quite the opposite experience, actually, uh, where, you know, a few years back, we started to look around with uh, what options were out there for automating deployments of .NET apps, specifically on the website, primarily, because um, it's what we do mostly here in, in our group. But um, we, we've just, we found a lot of value in web deploy and MS deploy uh, and, you know, uh, I, I was listening to, to one of the DNR episodes, uh, with Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Palermo. Right. And, and he even mentioned it, he, talking about how they use Octus Deploy and Tentacles and, and all that's great. But he, he kind of furthered that stigma that, yeah, you know, MS Deploy is out there, but we, we ended up using this other thing. And, uh, I, I think it's a shame that, um, so, so many folks out there just, just kind of ignore it or assume that it's not capable of enterprise level deployments. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm, somewhat of a, a personal mission to change that stigma. I've been blogging uh, about MS Deploy and some of our deployment practices since last year with the tag MS Deploy, all the things. Uh, so uh, been, been busy doing that, been on Stack Overflow. And and it just seems like, uh, you know, all the people I talk to, they don't have a great reason for not using it. They just don't understand it. Uh, so I thought it would be good to come on and, and talk about, you know, some of the success that we've had and um, and, and just educate the community. What do you think is the number one stumbling block or the point at which people say, ah, we shouldn't use this? Yeah, I think it's uh, it has a, a lot of uh, push around web deployment specifically. So web deploy is, is kind of the technology uh, that's built into Visual Studio for publishing web apps. So that's what most people know it, know it as. Uh, and they may not actually know that behind the scenes, web deploy is actually calling msdeploy.exe. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's probably not that they tried it. They probably just didn't realize that it was capable of, of, of performing more types of, of deployments than web deploy. And if, if they think it can only do web deploy, they probably try to look for something else that they think can handle all of their problems. And uh, first of all, web deploy is sort of like a contradiction in terms, isn't it? Aren't you deploying through the browser by default when you, when you, uh, have a website? I mean, what, what exactly does web deploy do that just simply having websites don't do for you by de- by design sure so it's it's all about deploying the applications to whatever uh, server you're going to host it on so 
I think it's probably good to just talk about web deploy in, in general. You know, we, we said it's it's installed with Visual Studio. When you when you have an ASP.NET site and you right click and, and choose publish, one of the options that's there by default is um, a web deploy as a, uh, along with FTP and, and a couple other options there. Yeah, okay. Um, but behind the scenes, what it's actually doing is Visual Studio comes with a set of MS build targets. Uh, that that are actually calling MS Deploy EXE behind the scenes, and really all of the the logic and all the functionality is really in MS Deploy.exe. Web Deploy is just kind of a thin wrapper around it with some syntactic sugar, some UI elements, and things like that. But what what's great about those MS Deploy packages, which is what Web Deploy uh, in the end creates, is uh, like I said, they're integrated with Visual Studio. Uh, you can execute them and actually perform the deployments via TFS. Uh, it has IIS support. You can click around in a wizard in IIS and deploy from a MS Deploy package. Mm. You can use just the command line and deploy these packages, even for local development. When we have a new developer come in, we've got a set of PowerShell scripts that roll through and deploy an MS Deploy package on the developer's local machine so they can do local testing and things. So it's it's really just, it's quite uh, powerful if, if you kind of look into and learn how it works. But um, now, we how, use it. Now, Go ahead. Now, if, if I've got Visual Studio and I've, I've got a Azure website, I can publish directly from Visual Studio. Is that using MS Deploy under the hood? It is. Yep. Yep. Ah, uh, cool. But it's it's the same technology, and you can deploy it to on-prem, to Azure, to local development machines. Hmm. The there there's some um, limitations to that Visual Studio. Uh, interface, it doesn't make all of the bells and whistles available to you. But if, if you get down to that MS deploy package and use some of those command line options, right. uh, it's really quite powerful. But we, we use it for deploying web apps, web services, web API, MVC, WCF, Windows Workflow. Wow. It, it's really anything that is hosted via ASP.NET. Now, and that's just the web deploy side. Right. And like we said, you can deploy to Azure. Third-party hosters, in most cases, support web deploy. Um, but so that's that's what most people uh, know about MS Deploy is, is really just through Web Deploy. But when you get down to kind of the inner workings of Web Deploy, it's really those targets. It's calling MS Deploy EXE underneath the scenes. And, and MS Deploy, the, the basic model is you have a, a source, a destination, and, and a what they call a verb. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple of verbs, but the main one that everybody uses is sync. And, and so you're syncing from a source to a destination. Uh, and, and there's so many capabilities. We'll, t- we'll talk about a, a few of them, um, but um, there's like 40 of these things. And it's everything from deploying an IIS app to the content of a, of a web app, setting uh, ACLs, uh, setting up app pool configuration, mm. installing things to the GAC, uh, red, uh, editing the registry even. There, there's so many things that it can do that most people just don't don't understand how, how that works. Huh. Um, and so, it, it is so obviously, you have to be familiar with PowerShell in order to use MS Deploy, or is it no. uh, all just command line OS stuff? It's just command line. Uh, you know, Microsoft has published out some PowerShell commandlets that um, uh, abstract that a little bit and make it a little bit easier to use from PowerShell. But we've just been using it from the command line uh, and ha- and have had great success with it. Uh, but so um, with web deploy, one, one of the special or, or for MS deploy, one of the special provider types is called a package. And that's really just a zip file that contains multiple providers inside of it based on a manifest. Okay. So by default, web deploy is going to create uh, a, an MS deploy package that is creating a web application in IIS that is copying content, the files of the site. In, from the zip file into the, uh, the web app, uh, and then it also it'll do set ACLs by default and maybe a couple other things. But it's it's combining multiple providers into a manifest and then creating a package from that manifest. So if you actually uh, you know cr- uh, instruct the build process to create one of these packages, you can see in the output directory there's a zip file there. If you open up the zip file, you can see all the files from your your application, you can see the manifest file and several other things there. But that's kind of the, the basics of web deploy. And and you know when we got started on automating our deployments a few years ago, um, you know we we said oh this this works great for web applications, but what are we going to do for our SQL databases? Mm-hmm. And what are we going to do for things that aren't web apps like Windows services or scheduled tasks? And so um, you know we looked around and there's tons of products out there and salespeople that are willing to sell them to you. 
but we, you know, sometimes a, a purchase order to buy that kind of thing is, is a blocker, right? Yeah. And, and so we just started with, well, what's what's the next thing that we can automate? If we've automated our web applications, our ASP.NET sites, how could we handle SQL deployments uh, simply and, and, and with the tools that we have? And just started digging in. And, and uh, some people probably have noticed that web deploy itself does support some uh, database deployments along with the the web application, but it's pretty limited. Uh, I think you can only hit one database and, and use one script or something mm. like that. Uh, I don't know a lot of people that are using it, but it was there. And so that was kind of a hint that, hey, maybe maybe this MS Deploy thing can do more. And if you look at, at the provider list for MS Deploy, uh, you'll, you'll see there's several other provider types there that are database related. So yeah, they have one called... SQL, um, GAC yep. assemblies, COM objects. Yep. Uh, and uh, DB Full SQL was the one that we started using the most. It was for SQL Server, which is what we use, but they have one for SQL Lite and, and, and several others. Um, but then later, they came up with one called DB DACFX. Hmm. And so as the name implies, it's it's used with DACPAC files. Uh, so for those that don't know, a DACPAC is, is like a, a zipped up binary representation of a database schema. Ah. Uh, and so it, it's we found it to be super, super powerful in being able to uh, take a database as code, create one of these DACPACs, and then deploy the DACPAC using MS Deploy. Um, and wow. you know, it, uh, the, we, we, we kind of, I don't know if we coined the term or who came up with it, but we, we use what we call release readiness, um, to, to look at how, how are we going to make these database changes? Uh, I'm sure y'all are familiar with EF, uh, EF migrations, which is another way to deploy, uh, database changes to, to a target database, right? Mm. Um, the problem with that is you're, you're assuming that the database is in some known state, right? That there's versions and that for each version, you have to have a migrate up and migrate down script, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the really cool thing about DACPAC is it doesn't matter what the state of the target database ah, is in. It, it could be it in out. any state. It yeah. figures it out and, and fixes the things that need fixed. That's right. It, comp- it compares uh, the information that's in the DACPAC against the target database and creates a diff script on the fly. And so that can include schema objects, uh, procs. Um, uh, it can even just include random scripts for loading data or whatever you have in that DAC pack. But you've got to be smart with the, the way that you do that, right? Yeah. Um, with release readiness, we, we're trying to look at and, and make non-destructive changes to the database. Um, so instead of renaming a column, we might uh, create a new column and copy the data over. Or right. instead of changing the contract for stored proc, we create a new version of that stored proc. That's a good but, good convention to follow. I'm looking at the provider list, and it's huge. And it, it's not just for databases or anything. I mean, it's for anything that needs to be changed, right? So you've got not only config file providers and pipeline providers, but you've got com object providers to register com objects. Um, uh, the SQL stuff you've talked about, the GAC assembly provider, the IIS app provider. How about uh, a reg key provider for registry keys and values? That's right. Run command yeah. set ACLE, as you said before, scan config. It's pretty robust. Yeah, there's like 40 plus of these things. And and honestly, I don't use half of them. Uh, you know, there's there's a few that are really helpful for what we do, but uh, I would... And you can write I your would, own? Uh, I believe you can. I have not ever uh, attempted that uh, mm-hmm. or, or really looked into it. I've, I've never needed to. Like yeah. I said, I mean, I've only probably used a dozen of these and there's 40. Yeah. Uh, so it, it probably covers most of what you would need to do. Wow. So but, the big whammy when I talk to folks who like Octopus Deploy is the security issue. Like Octopus Deploy puts bits on every server that sort of creates a pipeline to allow them to get software onto the machine. Do you run into privilege issues when you try and run Web Deploy? Uh, no, not usually. So Web Deploy uses kind of the same uh, model where they have a Web Deploy agent that, that runs as a Windows service. Uh, okay. That's typically what we do, and, and it, it probably solves a problem similar to the way Octopus Deploy does. It just uses AD credentials, and as long as the the uh, account running uh, that deployment has uh, sufficient rights, everything works no problem. 
Um, you know, for some folks, I can imagine that that may not be um, uh, a viable option to deploy that agent. MS Deploy does have like a temporary agent mode where it like installs the agent uh, and then performs the deployment and uninstalls it. Uh, I haven't used that personally, but uh, I've seen some others that I think have used it successfully. So that that's an option too. But we traditionally don't don't really have any problems uh, with sec- uh, security around the deployment itself. And and part of that has to do with putting that service on the machine just so that it manages the privileges for you. That's right. Because yeah, can, it, but there for is us, this I mean, voodoo we, with PowerShell that allows you to project privileges onto the machine. But it's it's hard. I think most people just haven't figured it out. Getting PowerShell set up the right way so you can say, okay, here's the I want you to run this PowerShell script and that can be web deploy on that machine using these credentials and off it goes. But That's right. uh, it, I've just found most folks, it's it's too hard to make that work. Yeah, it, it definitely can be difficult. We've had a few of those issues before. Yeah. Uh, but in, in the end, so we, we've, you know, we found all of these capabilities there for, for non-web applications. There's uh, providers like Directory Path, where you just want to deploy some files to some uh, uh, remote path or local path. Uh, and then the run command provider where you can run batch scripts on the, the target server as well. So a, a common example we use is to turn off a Windows service perform the, the deployment, which is really just an X copy of files, mm-hmm. and then turn the service back on. Or uh, for scheduled tasks, push the files out there and then use the run command to create a scheduled task uh, via the, the Windows API for that. So, um, you know, there, there's lots of options there. But for, for us, you know, we have 50 plus products just in uh, my development group uh, that we need to deploy on an ongoing basis. And, and, you know, to use MS Deploy in kind of a standard way, uh, was kind of difficult. You can you can configure and 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 tweak the web deploy stuff uh, by by injecting into the MS build process and 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 tweaking knobs and things. But you don't want every application or every development team to do that on every application, right? right. So we needed a a way to to share uh, some of that common functionality. And, and so web deploy was great for that. It's just deployed on everybody's machine. There's really not much you have to do there. But for the SQL and the non web. Uh, you know, we could make it work, but we didn't want each development team to pay that cost. So what we ended up doing is kind of creating something similar to the uh, MS build targets and things that Visual Studio creates. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so it's really just MS build targets that are have a specific pur- purpose of creating uh, SQL database uh, MS deploy packages or non-web uh, MS deploy packages. Uh, and then we just wrap that in a NuGet package so we can version it and distribute it. Uh, and then all the teams are, are sharing that same functionality and we really only have to write it once. And when we make improvements to it, everybody gets the improvements. It's worked out really, really well. And I, I, I mean, the main thing is once you've figured out a workflow for doing a website deploy, it's a template. Everybody's going to be a little bit different, but not that much different. That's right. Yep, you know, I mean, some, I'm looking some at web deploy has a cert provider, which means I could literally update all my certificates in an automated way with this tool. That's right. Yep. We, we haven't used that one specifically, but uh, that, that capability uh, is definitely there. Um, oh, it's you know, terrifying. So, everything about certificates is terrifying. Right, right, yeah. Uh, you know, t- to be honest, the, we we haven't, you know, we haven't achieved continuous delivery, I guess, right? So we're, we're still on that journey. We've got a right. really good handle on application and database deployments. Uh, but as far as server configuration, so if uh, MS Deploy can create a IIS app under a site, but it can't create a site. So things like creating sites, installing certificates, we still have... Um, a fairly manual process for getting those server configuration changes made on the server ahead of time. But we can do that weeks in advance of deploying the actual application, right? Uh, and well, we've, and you know, it, we've it, got... But it's an interesting truth, right? Again, we don't change certificates enough, often enough, to automate that. Right. That we, I, no, I ad- flatly admit myself that I still do certs using the wizards to generate the requests for them. Yeah. Because it's it's hard, right? And that's the thing when you start to look at, you know, what are your pain points in the deployment? It's not certs. You know, we're, we're doing that far less often. Yeah. We're doing websites, you know. Uh, and so that's that's part of, I think, uh, the success that we've had is is focusing on what's the next most painful thing and working on that next. Mm. Uh, and, and so far, MS Deploy has been able to, to meet that need. Uh, even uh, like configuration uh, management. So 
uh, most developers uh, are familiar with config transforms for changing your config for each environment, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem with that is it happens at build time. So that means you have to rebuild your code for each environment, which is what we used to do. We would do that via TFS build and and the deployment was automated, but we were rebuilding each time. And there was always a risk there that someone got something else in between QA and mock or, or what have you. Mm, right. um, and so w- one of the capabilities of MMS Deploy, though, is what they call web deploy parameterization. And it's unfortunate that they call it web deploy parameterization because it's really just an MS Deploy feature. Uh, but when you have an MS Deploy package, you can add some configuration in there, parameterization files to control how the configuration of, of that application has changed during the deployment. So you can build once, you can set up these parameterization files, and then have have a different set parameters file for each environment. That's really just a dictionary that says, for this parameter value or parameter key, I want to send it to this value. Uh, so it works out really, really nicely. It's, you know, it's, you've got to learn it. There, there's, uh, uh, it, it's a new uh, way to do things. And so you've got to learn it like anything else. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's, it's really helped us come a long way with controlling that stuff. But it, it has um, parameter types of XML files. So if you want to change config, uh, uh, application configs or any other XML file, and it uses XPath for that. Mm-hmm. It ha- they have a text file type where you can use regex or line character position. Cool. You can even even change the deployment itself uh, with a provider path type where when it deploys a, a SQL database, in our case, uh, it actually changes the, the target database that it's deploying to via uh, that set parameters file. But uh, it's actually, it's all there with web deploy even. Uh, if you look at the output of a web deploy package, you'll see a parameters file and a set parameters file. So by default, web deploy is giving you a few of those things. I think they will parameterize your um, database connection strings and your IS application name just by default. Uh, and, and then you can uh, obviously uh, add other things into that uh, so that you can con- change more configs. I mean, we typically have our database connection strings, our, our web service endpoints. Uh, we use uh, uh, Windows Identity uh, Foundation, so some WIF stuff for us. Uh, but there's mm-hmm. there's really, really no limit to what you can change during that parameterization and deployment process. Nice. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is. I must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to deploy an obvious joke about MS Deploy. (laughs) Should I do it again? (laughs) Yes, yes, you should. (laughs) It's time to deploy an obvious joke about MS Deploy. (laughs) Okay. Do it again. (laughs) It's time to deploy an obvious joke about MS Deploy, Richard. I've done it three times now. All right. Great. Now we have a test server. Yeah. Can we load balance that joke? (laughs) Now that's funny. It sounds like you missed adding a parameter for the last half of that joke. (laughs) Oh, it's actually time to give away a complete music to code by collection. To one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club, Music to Code By is a set of 25-minute Pomodoro-sized quiet and groovy instrumentals scientifically designed to promote focus. It will get you into a state of flow and keep you there. .NET Rocks fans all over the world are being more productive with Music to Code By. See what all the fuss is about. Check us out at musictocodeby.net. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Kevin Manx. Ah, well done, Kevin. Well done. Clap for you, sir. Well done, jolly good. Some clappers. And Kevin just won the complete Music to Code by collection. I believe that's 12 as of this recording. And uh, if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club, but you got to sign up to win. And now it's your turn, Rob. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? All right, so that sounds fun. Um, A couple years ago, my parents got me a homebrew kit for brewing beer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I've been playing around with that for about a year and a half now, and I'm I'm seven batches in. Each batch is about five gallons, so 
Uh, I'm kind of making my way to a, a, a in-home brewery, I guess, at this point. Yeah, it's a lot of but, beer. That is yeah, a lot of beer. Yeah, so uh, I, I'd love to spend some money on some technology for that. There's all kinds of high-tech kettles and burners and uh, uh, even some automated automation equipment. They've got a really cool thing called a beer bug. Uh, that, huh. that monitors temperature and uh, O2 uh, generation during the fermentation process. Mm. Uh, it's really, really uh, cool, but I'd love to build uh, maybe a rig for that and, and um, automate some of that. If you really want to get controversial, you could turn some of that beer into whiskey. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got a whiskey-making kit for Christmas. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, and so Richard now has all the makings to get himself into a lot of trouble. Nice. <laughs> Nothing unusual, really. Yeah, it's fun stuff. Yeah, so being being from Alabama, uh, that that's not uh, all that uncommon, actually. Uh, I've seen quite a few mason jars here and there. If you know what I'm saying, I've seen that yep. show. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love the, inst- the the instructions for making uh, you know moonshine from corn i mean they're actually warning you about the methanol and how you have to avoid the head and so forth right. but even when you do all of that you still have methanol problems so one of the steps is you, you the reason they use mason jars is they want you to use just the ring part of the lid with some uh cheesecloth and you screw down the cheesecloth over the lid so it's sealed but you can still vent and they the the point is that the methanol is lighter than the ethanol and so it tends to sit on the top and it will evaporate off and the oh, methanol is wow. toxic. It'll make you blind. Yeah. But one of the, I was reading some sites about doing this. It says one of the ways you'll know this is working is there will be dead flies on the cheesecloth. <laughs> That's why you have the cheesecloth on there. That's the awesome. stuff is so toxic, it will kill flies <laughs> in flight if they go over top of the, of the outcast. <laughs> wow. So, so <laughs> Richard, have you tried beer, uh, brewing beer? I have not. I have many friends who brew beer, and uh, it's you know okay. it's its own art form. There's no two ways about it. I'm just not a beer fan. I like ah. beers. Grown up cousin. Gotcha. That would be scotch or whiskey in general. It all started as beer. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Then it went elsewhere. But another hobby that will easily absorb five thousand dollars and many oh, weekends. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so, even even to the point where it's uh, it's no fun anymore. You know, part of part of the fun for me is being able to build some of the stuff to to brew. I made a stir plate uh, out of a, a um, desktop uh, fan from a, a computer with a, a rare earth magnet from a hard drive. It's, it's a lot of fun tinkering around with. It. I'm getting into some IoT stuff and and electron. Um, um, what's the word? Electronics development, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. in, in yeah, the so process, the hardware so side of that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. But there is also, and this is where you think about the non-fun part, but there's an obligation. You know, you've got a bunch of bacteria, that yeast working for you right now, and they only have a certain lifespan, a certain window where things are going to go well. You must pay attention. Oh, yeah. Yeah, e- even, the, yeah, the biology part of it, too, is just amazing. Uh, you know, at each time you brew beer, the, the yeast itself uh, reproduces, and you have so much more of it, and I can take yeast from one batch and save it for the next batch. Uh, and trying to keep that yeast healthy and viable, it's 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 really fun. I've, I've met a lot of developers in in the in the, uh, in the community, in the homebrew community, and for whatever reason, development and and homebrew just go together. Now you but know what you, you really know, need to do to manage that process is write your own MS build provider. <laughs> That's right, MS deploy <laughs> yeah, provider. Absolutely. Yeah, but yeah they if, both if I could buy the equipment, like yeah. music of mastery right it, it, there's no perfect bottle of beer you'll always you always get better but you always something else you could have done right it's just like no piece of software is ever really finished yep absolutely how are people going to get started with ms deploy is the learning curve greater than using something like octopus um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, to change that part of it. You know, like uh, I, part of being on here is just to let people know that, that MS deploy can be used f- for more than just web deploy. Right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be active on stack overflow and help people with questions. Um, you know, one of the more common scenarios is about the database deployment. So, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not hard at all to go to, out to Stack Overflow and ask those types of questions. And I think in most cases, MS Deploy is fitting the bill for most of those questions that I'm seeing. Um, so, 
there's there there is documentation. The great part about MS Deploy is it's been around for a while, right? So it has issues, it has bugs, but those are mostly well known, and there's usually workarounds for them. Uh, but I mean, it's it's really just a matter of going out and blogging and, and or not blogging, but but reading blogs and reading Stack Overflow uh, to find out you know where uh, what what are folks doing with MS Deploy or how do you perform this specific deployment task. Uh, and it's out there. I'm, I'm trying to blog more about it. I've got a, a series of blog posts that talk about these different things. Uh, so I think the information's out there. It's just a matter of going out and looking. But, you know, with we have 50 plus pipelines now in, in ThoughtWorks Go that, that, that are using MS Deploy behind the scenes to deploy out all of our components. Each, each of the 50 have between two and eight components that have to be deployed out. Mm. Uh, whether it be a, a website or web service. So um, I, I absolutely think it's viable. I think there's documentation out there that, that helps with that. Uh, MS Deploy itself is well documented on MSDN. So that's all out there. Um, but it's just a matter of, uh, you know, letting folks know what it's capable of so that they can give it a try. Do you build load balance websites at all? Oh yeah, absolutely. So we've so, our typical setup is dev is just a single node, test is uh, a load balance pair, uh, and then we have a load balance pair in production as well. So mostly, uh, yeah, is that really for performance? Or is that more a reliability thing? It's more reliability, but part right. of our our pipeline, our deployment pipeline, is to take that deploy package and deploy it to one node and then deploy it to the other. Um, and we've we've even got it where it's it's a, it's technically no downtime deployment. We pull one out of the cluster, we deploy to it, and we put it back in and pull the other out and do, do the same thing. So we're, right. we're still trying to, to bake in some of our testing uh, tasks into that process and, and automate it a little bit more. Uh, but but it's, it's working out so well now. I mean, we, we started with, uh, you know, probably monthly deployments at, at the earliest, but probably more likely quarterly. And now it's routine to deploy once a week. And, you know, we, we could actually deploy once a day or probably multiple times a day if we wanted to. Uh, so it's it, it's really uh, amazing the difference that it makes. And every team that that we help here at EBSCO uh, build that process in and start to automate, they, they start seeing value out of it day one. Uh, so mm. it's, it's, it's really, really been great. And are you just using network load balancing for this? Yeah, so I think we use an F5 uh, oh, okay. in so our case. Oh, so you have an external load balancer. The network load That's balancing right. is the one built into Windows, which is you know got some significant oh, limitations. Yep, no. So we use a, a hardware-based load balancer for that. Okay. So can you build in your commands to the F5 as part of this process? We can. Uh, we haven't done that yet. Uh, we have some research projects around that. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's, we just use, uh, you know, they have a uh, like a monitor file that the load balancer uses that if this file is there, it means the site is up and you should distribute traffic to it, right? Right. So we just, we pull that file and then the load balancer takes it out of commission. We make our deployment, then we put the file back. And, and, and then it, when it, it takes it out of commission, is that instant or does it actually drain the workload first? I believe it drains the workload, but that's not my expertise. Okay. Yeah. So, but that, but that means, you know, and I, I think this is an important part of the conversation when folks are trying to understand this sort of thing is who's responsible for draining the workload? Because NLB, the built-in Windows load balancer, doesn't have really much in the way of a mechanism for that. You have to figure that out yourself. But F5, right. and that's, I mean, that's a premium product, arguably the best load balancer in the world. They know all about that stuff so that you can, you can command an F5, hey, finish, you know, maintain all the connections to current work, give it no further work. And once they're all gone, then notify me. And then you know, okay, now I can take the machine out of the pool, I can make my changes to it, and then I can put it back in the pool and and pull load over to it. So from a Devi question, when you're doing this stunt, right, the continuous update uh, approach, what if you've got a guy going through a series of steps using, you know, adding stuff to session, that kind of thing, and then you move him from one from version two to version three, do you write some code to bridge that move? So we hadn't used state in a long time, Richard. Uh, I'll have to admit. Uh, so we went okay. to MVC and, and really haven't looked back. We we did early on uh, still have some web forms app, and so we used uh, the shared state uh, via SQL yep. persistence. I think uh, so. That was typically the the technology that we use for that. Um, but, but you, you know, still got it, state. You're just storing in the database. You're not using the the web based right. state stuff. Yep. So I could still see where you get into a situation moving from one version to another where you're treating your state information differently. Yep. I think that it sounds like that goes back to the database release readiness to me, though. Right. Yeah. Don't, don't make is, change. I, mean, I think uh, it's the largest part of this conversation. Yeah. 
yeah, it's it's a hard, you know, uh, it was about a year and a half ago, I think, that we were pitching to the developers to go to a single uh, branch for source control and trying right. to get them bought into CD. And man, it, it was tough. Uh, everybody was skeptical of it. They weren't sure how it was going to work. They had the safety of branching for so long and they relied mm-hmm. on it. And they, they were just dealing with the merging, right? But the merging was always terrible. There, it was yeah. never a great merge. Even when we thought it would be easy, it was never easy. Uh, and, you know, so one, one of the other things that we've uh, been using a lot are feature flags uh, to be able to uh, selectively turn functionality on and off. Uh, right. It's made a big, a big uh, uh, difference for us as well in, in avoiding those those breaking changes and, and just not being, uh, you know, you, the, the comment that you, you read earlier, um, you know, to me, the, the best definition of CD is, is changing the process of deployment to be waiting on the business than, as opposed to waiting on the technology, right? Yeah. When, mm-hmm. when you have branches, you got to wait on the technology group to go and merge the branches appropriately, get it ready for deployment. We're in a situation now where somebody checks something in, it goes through a gated check-in, it, it performs the unit tests, uh, and it's deployed out to, to an environment. Uh, and then, you know, we're still at the point where we're running, um, we're triggering main uh, feature testing manually. It's all mm-hmm. automated feature testing, but we still say, okay, I'm ready to do my feature testing and go do it. So the next step for us is to automate that piece. But when you get to the point where every change that you check in is going through that process and either resulting in a deployable build or not, you, you just you fundamentally change the, the process of delivering value to customers. And it, it becomes a business decision as opposed to a technology decision of when can we get this code ready to put in the user's hands. Right. So if you're using feature flagging, are you deploying partially built features that are simply flagged off? Absolutely. Yep. Okay. And, and in some cases, we don't even feature flag it if it's, you know, if it's some new page and there's no link to the page, it's it's obfuscated. So, right. you know, it, That's we don't enough. always do it. Yeah. But but in general, we usually do feature flags. Uh, so, you know, we we often get into situations where there's three or four features that are ready for UAT. We put it in the mock environment and two out of the, the three or, or three out of the four are approved, but the last one isn't. And instead of having to go back and make further changes to hide that functionality, it's just a toggle switch. We just turn that off and keep going. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. But I, I just like this integrate first mindset. The you know again getting away from branches. You get somebody off on a branch for a week writing a ton of code and trying to integrate at the end. Mm-hmm. Yep, Where you're for, you're for backloading all, all of all of uh, a ton of work there, right? Uh, you yeah, know, one of the first I mean, things that we do now for for a new project or a new feature is deploy kind of a shell all the way to production and then just hide it with a feature flag. Uh, right. So we're assured that, you know, as we're developing things, we're going to continue to push things up to production, whether you're done or not. So you need to make sure that you can hi- effectively hide or, or turn off your code in some way. Uh, so that that's where the feature flags really uh, are super valuable. But it also brings up this behavior of surfacing global changes early. So if you your little feature that you would have worked on for a couple of weeks away from everyone else is dependent on this weird version of this library that will break things for other people, you're going to know that right at the beginning. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, so yeah, same thing with firewall issues and all those things is you, you get to see those things early, you know, instead of waiting till the end and then having uh, to wait another month to, to work out all the kinks in production or whatever. Uh, which also goes to you got to make sure your environments are, are as close to production as possible uh, or reasonable. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's so easy to get hung up with what's everything. How do I achieve CD? Right? Uh, right. And I think that's just the wrong way to look at it. Just look at it bit by bit. What's the most what's the next most painful thing? How can I automate that? And, and MS Deploy, I think, is a great solution for most of the things at least that we do, but I think it's the majority of what a lot of the dot enterprise.net shops are doing. It's it's web apps, it's ASP.NET, it's SQL databases, Windows services, scheduled tasks. Um, you know, we, we've, we've had a lot of success uh, with that. Now, have you tried using this to deploy clients to workstations? We haven't. Uh, I think uh, we do have a few cases of that, and I think we usually end up with click once for those. Right. Yeah, because I think that's a it's a different problem space, really, and very very challenging. Yep. Yes. So can we circle back a bit on the on the DAC pack approach to this? This is really the data tools that that Microsoft's had for a while, but a lot of people don't use. Yep. 
and yeah, they no, work with web deploy. Absolutely. Yep. It, it was a later feature. So if you, if you scroll all the way down to the bottom of that providers list, and I'll, I'll give you a link, Carl, to put on the notes, but uh, the DB DACFX provider wasn't even listed. Uh, it was a later edition, and it, they never updated this documentation. But to me, that is the, one of the most powerful providers here because everybody struggles with the, the database deployments. Uh, and, and it's just become a non-event for us. Uh, we, we recently had a developer that we hired on. And, and this is a guy that's been in, in you know, a big .NET Enterprise shop for a while. And uh, on his, his first deployment, he put some feature into the product, whatever it was. And uh, he's pulled up ThoughtWorks Go to see our pipeline. And, and the guy that was helping him said, okay, just, just hit that button and it'll deploy it to prod. And he's like, wait a minute. I just hit this one button mm. and it's deploying my web app and my database and all everything up there. I, it's just this one button. That's all I got to do. I don't have to get approval or anything. It's, it's just this one button. Yeah, yeah, that's all it is. And, and he just couldn't believe it. Mm. Um, but yeah, dbdacfx is, is that main provider. Uh, so I added that, that comment down at the bottom of that providers page to help folks know that, that that's there and it, it's super powerful. One, one of my most recent blog posts is about that and just being able to extend a database project and hook that in. But that means basically uh, we create a, a temporary, not temporary, but a, a extension to the MS build target. So your your DB proj file or SQL proj file, I forget which one they use now, is just a, a, an MS build targets file uh, with MS build script in it. And you, know, you can add a file to your project uh, that basically extends that and you reference it from your SQL proj file. Uh, and then you can inject uh, new logic into that MS build uh, process. And so uh, within that, that's where you can uh, use MS deploy to create a package with that DAC pack. Uh, and, and then you can deploy it anywhere you want via TFS or via command line or, or whatever orchestration tool that you have. Uh, but it's it's really that simple. The the database project supports creating the DAC pack uh, by default. I think I don't even think you have to turn it on for uh, you know newer versions. I forget if that's 2012 or 2013 up. Uh, but it, it's it's supported right there. Um, now right. I, I think the last show again with I think with Jeffrey um, somebody was talking about you know how hard it is just to get. Uh, Database developers, DBAs, developers to to use a database project, right? They're so yes. used to uh, injecting new schema objects directly to the database via um, SQL Management Studio. It's you got to get folks in, into that mindset. But when you wrap a deployment around that, and you say the, whatever you have that you've injected directly into the database is going to be wiped out because we're going to take the DAC pack and deploy the DAC pack. So if you don't use the the database project your stuff is going to get wiped out so that it instantly becomes an incentive to use the database project like they should be. Yeah. Nobody, if you cheat, your stuff will be destroyed. That's right. So the, yep. the question is always preserving data and dealing with changes in the schema of existing data. Like I don't think it's a big deal to add a new table or, you know, any of those sorts of things for a new feature. But when you need to make a modification, even adding a new column to an existing table, I'm not worried about, it, but I need to modify an existing column. Like yeah, and, and me, that, that's what makes people afraid. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and that I think that just comes back to to what we call release readiness analysis, right? Just don't do that. You, uh, and that that's hard. That may be easy to say, but hard to do, right? Um, right. You know, obviously, there's going to be cases where you just can't do that. But I mean, we we've been doing it for um, at least a year and a half, maybe two years on the SQL deployments at this point, and uh, we, we really just haven't found that many situations where it doesn't work. Um, right. you know, we're not working with terabytes of data, so there's probably cases where that, that falls down. But mm -hmm. I would suspect the majority of shops would be able to, to do it the same way that instead of editing whatever, whatever edit that you want to make to the table, just make a new column instead and move your data over right. there and start using the new column instead of the old one. Um, and maybe and sometime other, later, you can take the old column out. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and uh, to kind of pile onto that, when you want to roll back, Think about that. If you've got every, you've got these versions of a DAC pack over time. If we deploy something and we need to roll back, it's just okay. We'll take that last one that we built and deploy that DAC pack again, and it, mm -hmm. it reverts everything uh, back to the way it was. Uh, right. it, that's it. Even if you need to do a rollback, a lot of times we usually roll forward. But yeah, right. so it, with feature flags and with uh, non-destructive database changes, you've got to be good about going back and cleaning up after yourself. Uh, but you know, we we found that to be uh, extremely uh, effective.
Well, and so, I mean, I've talked to plenty of folks where they're saying we run the date, we run a set of database changes first, then there's an update to the application. Then we wait for a while, you know, we gain more confidence that we're happy where we are. And then there's a clean set of cleanup tasks. But it seems That's like right. you're doing them all in line, uh, if I'm if I'm understanding you. So, you know, we, we do, we'll leave um, the old data structures there, whether it's a column or a table right. or an old store proc or whatever. Uh, and we just open up a technical data item to go, come back and, and remove that once we're uh, sure that we don't need it anymore. So on some subsequent build, we'll include the statement to drop that column. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. And, and DACPAC uh, or the database projects, you can add all kinds of scripts in there. Uh, that, that will do those kinds of things. And as long as you write the script in a way to check that it hasn't already been performed, um, it, it usually works out uh, wonderfully. Yeah, no, a, I think it's a pretty solid set of, of steps here. And and uh, I did, yeah, just wasn't aware. Uh, I've always looked at this deployment piece as a separate piece. So the fact that MS Deploy will just include it as part of the script, that's, that's really compelling. Yeah. So I, I don't want to misrepresent it, right? So we've made some investments uh, in extending MS Deploy and, and creating those MS build targets to, to mm-hmm. be able to extend it and, and with those NuGet packages and all. So we've been toying with the idea of open sourcing that, but like any, I mean, this thing started out as my pet project three or four years ago. So it doesn't have unit tests and, and it's the, the code isn't the cleanest, you know. Uh, but you know, the, the, really the only blocker to, to putting that out there has been, you know, my apprehension about putting code out that doesn't have unit tests. But I mean, right. if this is, if this is something that listeners would, would use and would find value in, I, I don't think there would be any reason why we couldn't open source this thing as is. And then if we get more hands on it, that maybe help with, uh, you know, writing a new version and, and writing unit tests, all those kinds of things. Uh, we, we'd love to hear that feedback. Uh, so I'll, I'll be watching the comments on the show. And, and if we see a lot of people that, that would see value in that, I, I definitely think that's something that we would be willing to do and, and we'd want to, to put out there to kind of help the community and, and help bring value uh, to other shops as well. For sure. Well, Rob, thanks a lot for spending an hour with us. It's been great. Yeah, no, man, it was, it was a, a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.